Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, people who have clicked on this website. We're so thankful that you have chosen to uh, go through this service with us. And uh, man, we are just so thankful to, to have you with us to do church together. And just that you know, our heart is that uh, you are connected to a local body, uh, a local church, a local community, and that this service is just meant to be a supplement. If you're traveling or if you're away sick, uh, we hope and pray that uh, you're okay and safe travels. Uh, but man, we are so appreciated that you are with us, and we hope that uh, we just have a, a great time together. Well, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I have a few announcements for you. The first one is uh, we're just so, uh, we love praying for you. Uh, we uh, we love praying for our people. Uh, even if you come to the church, you don't, you're just watching. Uh, so if you have any prayer requests, we would walk. We would love to walk with you through prayer this week. You can text your prayer requests to 97,000, 97,000. You can do it right now now, if you just text 97,000 your prayer requests, they will be received, and uh, we find it uh, to be an honor to be able to pray with you throughout the week. Uh, second thing is, we have a lot happening uh, every single week with men's events, women's events, high school, junior high, children's, you name it, there's something for every age group, and uh, there's just a lot happening, and we want to make sure that you have access to that information, so you can go on our website at agorabible.org at any time, or our church center app, and you can find all of that information. You can email us any additional questions uh, that you might have for us, so we want to make sure that you uh, know where to go to find that stuff. Lastly, uh, we are just so thankful for your ongoing generosity. We can't do what we do. Uh, this church can't exist and the ministries can exist without your faithful giving. And uh, we would be so appreciated if you uh, would um, consider making a donation. You can do that on our website or on the Church Center app under Donate and Give. Well, before we get into God's Word, I'm going to pray for us and uh, we'll get to it. Father God, we just thank you so much for a time to be able to open up your word, to be able to dig into your love letter to us, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what you want us to get out of this message, Lord. And we're so thankful for your ongoing grace and mercies, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit nudges us to hear and to act and to respond exactly what you want us to, Lord. We love you so much. It's your name we pray, amen. Well, thank you, Christopher. Hello, everybody. Good to see you. I'm Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and we get to dive into God's word together. Uh, hopefully, you are enjoying the two best weekends of the year. That's right, March Madness. Those first two weekends are about as good as it gets. We are filming here on Thursday. That means that currently, as I speak, there are two games going in the Sweet 16 I'm not gonna lie to you, I am ready to get home and watch those games. But that doesn't mean I'm not fired up to get into God's word and close out 1 Corinthians. Um, as we start our time, I'd love to give you just a little insight into the Antioho household. Uh, most evenings, our bedtime routine kind of looks like this. We'll head upstairs, get ready for bed. I'll get into bed. I'll kind of queue up whatever show we're watching at the time. And then I'll just sit there and wait. And uh, Linz will come on into bed. But I don't hit play quite yet. I still wait. Because chances are, uh, my beautiful bride 
uh, has a few things to say before we conclude our day, watch our show, and fall asleep. Could be about anything. Could be about the girls, could be about work, could be about something that happened that day or something that's going to happen the next day. Could be about her hair, could be about, it could be about anything. And it's interesting, I've noticed uh, sometimes I can follow her train of thought as she moves from topic to topic. And other times uh, there's really no discernible thing (laughs) that gets us from point A to point B or to point C. Um, And that's okay. Uh, Typically, she just has some things to say. And so I I enjoy listening to her. I like listening to my wife. I love hearing what she's got to say at the end of the day. And then at some point, she just says, okay, I'm done. (laughs) And we go on, watch our show, fall asleep. She used to ask me if I had any things to say, like if there was just things that I needed to say. And I think she realized that I didn't. And so she stopped asking me um, just a little bit uh, into the the life of the Antiochos. But that's kind of the vibe I get here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, right? It's the end of a long letter. And so Paul just has a couple of things to say. Uh, Sometimes you can see the train of thought and other times you're like, I don't know how in the world he got there, but we're just going there anyways. It was interesting uh, not to let you think that I am poking fun at my wife. My wife was actually the one that came up with this illustration and introduction. And I loved her comment on it. She thought, you know what? I just wish that we could know what was going on in Paul's brain of how he got from A to B. Because in her brain, there's always a logical progression, even when it cannot be seen from the outside. All that to say, hey, we're in it together. Let's do it. Let's wrap up this letter. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get into God's word. Dear Father, Um, God, I'm just so grateful um, for this church. I'm so grateful for the book of 1 Corinthians and the letter that you inspired Paul to write in answering some questions and addressing some issues that are going on, uh, that were going on in the Corinthian church and are still so applicable today. Um, Lord, we give you this time now. Uh, Lord, as I even just mentioned earlier as I was preparing to run through this, God, I'm so desperate for you to show up and speak to hearts what you want to say. Lord, I pray that you would uh, and your Holy Spirit would bring to life uh, the words from here in 1 Corinthians 16, and I need you to do that. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the last chapter in the book. We are concluding our series through 1 Corinthians. Throughout this letter, Paul has been addressing some very heavy issues with the church. He addressed issues such as division in the church, problems with sex, with food, with the gathering of believers together. And then the last few weeks, he's been talking about the resurrection and Jesus' return. There has been a lot of theology, a lot of doctrine. And so here in chapter 16, Paul kind of makes this hard turn from doctrinal to practical. 
And here, I would say kind of the best description that I could give you is really we get a sneak peek into kind of a little bit of the behind the scenes of Paul's ministry. We're not just hearing what he has to say about topics and about ministry, but we're seeing how he actually does ministry. I think it's pretty cool. The first practical topic that we're going to touch on is regarding generosity. Let's take a look at verse 1. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. All right, we'll stop there. Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of background, actually, as we move on, because a couple of different sections require it. Uh, here, the background that's important to know is that Paul is organizing a gift, a financial gift to the church in Jerusalem. The situation in Jerusalem was super rough, really, really rough, especially for Jesus followers. So Jerusalem, just in general, was a pretty poor city. Uh, it was often overpopulated because of the Jewish feasts, the Jewish celebrations, and that really put a strain on resources. So even in normal times, the Jerusalem economy was very um, dependent on financial gifts of Jews that didn't live there in the city. Jews would send off to the temple, they'd send financial assistance, and that really pumped uh, money into the economy there in Jerusalem. But this isn't normal times, okay? At this moment, when this letter is being written, uh, they are on the tail end of a severe famine in the area. And so Jerusalem's really got it rough. As you'd imagine, a famine, there's even less resources to go around. So it is very, very rough. And here's a question. Who do you think, well, maybe I'll ask it this way. How high of a priority do you think it would be to provide for Jews who were viewed to have completely deserted their religion and taken up this new cult of Christianity? You guessed it, very, very low. So uh, the, the people in the absolute worst of financial situations at that time, uh, probably in the entire known world, were Christians living in Jerusalem. And so that's why Paul is organizing this effort to provide for them. I would say our main takeaway from this kind of little practical stretch of what's going on in the collection of this uh, financial gift for the Jerusalem believers is that the church has a responsibility to provide for the church. The church has a responsibility to provide for the church both locally and not locally. The church has a responsibility to provide for the church, to provide for people who look and worship exactly like they do, and for people who do not at all. I find it interesting that the Jerusalem church, the receiving church, the church that was going to be receiving this financial gift, was comprised of Jewish believers 
And the giving churches, the churches of Galatia and Corinth that were giving to the believers were Gentile believers. I just think there's absolutely something there. Practically speaking, let's just take a look at what Paul instructed the Corinthian believers and what this looks like. Verse two, every single one, everyone, nobody was excluded. Everyone was to put something aside. Doesn't specify an exact specific amount, but everybody was to put something aside and they were to do it regularly every single week. Verses two and four include some of the other details. They're supposed to give it to the church so that Paul didn't have to go around collecting afterwards. They had to assign trustworthy people to bring the gift and he adds, hey, if I need to go too, I'll go. If not, all right, whatever, I don't care. So, While the delivery instructions that we see there later in verses three and four uh, would be specific, right, for this exact gift to the Jerusalem believers, I'd say the rest is pretty darn applicable today. Uh, If you are a follower of Jesus, you absolutely still have the responsibility to provide for the big C church, both locally and around the world. Now, when you hear that, that you have the responsibility to provide for the church locally and around the world, that is a huge ask, right? Like that sounds overwhelming. Uh, I even felt that as I was like writing that out, but it's not overwhelming. It's not. Because who has the ultimate responsibility of providing? Is it you? No, you don't even have the ultimate responsibility of providing for yourself. The Lord is the one who provides. The ultimate responsibility of providing for everyone, that is on the Lord. And that's amazing and reassuring. Every single unit of currency in existence belongs to the Lord. Again, amazing, reassuring. Like that helps us when we're like, yep, he's the provider. Every single unit of currency in existence belongs to him. But I think here's where we get a little confused somehow. It's easy for us to grasp that he owns every unit of currency in existence, but yet when we bring it into our own bank account, the fact that he owns every single dollar in your bank account and in my bank account, for whatever reason, that's where we start getting a little bit mixed up. Um. So I don't have time to do an all-encompassing theology on money uh, here in this brief section, Uh, but kind of the tagline that I'd like to start with is that the Lord is simply looking for faithful and generous, faithful and generous stewards of the money that he's entrusted to us, faithful and generous managers of his money that he's allowed us to manage. Lindsay and I, my wife and I, uh, we did our premarital counseling with Pastor Scott and his wife, Adrian, uh, with the Kegels. It was great. It was amazing. Uh, What we say was the most impactful thing that we did for our marriage before getting married uh, was not our premarital counseling with the Kegels. And I don't mean to dismiss it. It really was super impactful, really good. We still uh, like utilize and talk about some of the things that we did with our premarital counseling with the Kegels. The best thing that we did for our marriage before we got married was we took a financial Bible study. It was called Compass Financial, and it was so good. It walked through so many scriptures on money, generosity, contentment, etc. It was so, 
So good. Uh, not only did it get us on the same page just with kind of the ins and the outs of finance and logistics of finance and just be moving in the same direction together, but the best thing, even more importantly than that, and that's a bold statement, is it really laid this foundation for who we wanted to be in relation to the money that the Lord entrusted to us, both then and like moving forward, like forever. Um, it was a game changer in our marriage. Uh, we left with pretty strong convictions after that, just seeing what God had to say on the topic of money and finances. We left with very strong convictions for a couple of different things, and it's related to this passage as Paul is instructing the Corinthians. Uh, one conviction that we left with is that we would regularly give 10% of every dollar that came in, every 10% of our income, total income, to the current church that we were attending. Uh, the idea of a tithe, which literally means a tenth, uh, is kind of scattered throughout scripture. And so we are just very convicted that we are regularly going to give 10% of all of our income to the current church that we are attending. But then we knew that it wasn't just that, right? The Lord has all of, like every single dollar that's in our bank account is his. And so we were convicted that regularly we would give to outside ministries globally around the world. And what that's looked like for the entirety of our marriage, we have sponsored at least one kid through Compassion International. Now we have a few kids um, that we sponsor, uh, but we would have a regular thing that we do for that. And then we knew, well, there there's just so many different asks that come up. I don't know if you experience this. I feel like we get asked very often and regularly, there's a need that comes up. And so we uh, were convicted that we were going to regularly add to a little savings account um, that is designated specifically and only used for giving and generosity. And when needs come up, we want to just be able to always say yes. Um, and here's the thing is we had those convictions coming out of the class, uh, but it didn't just happen, right? Like it's not just poof, I took the class and now it happens. Uh, it took some planning. And then after that, it takes like following through on the plan that we had. I still kind, kind of find it ironic of how much planning it goes into being a spontaneous giver. It's just interesting uh, how those two things work together. Uh, a little disclaimer, though, after I share kind of a little bit about how the Lord has convicted uh, Linz and I uh, on finance stuff, is we by no means are like uh, the Christian poster children for finances and generosity, by no means at all. I feel like the Lord is regularly trying to like pry the, like the grasp uh, that our hands just tighten over finances. And I feel like the Lord is so regularly working on my heart on contentment and generosity. I feel like that's such a regular thing that the Lord is just like, yeah, my hands just so easily just grab onto the finances that I view as mine. And I feel like I'm just regularly like working on, and the Lord is like talking to me about just opening up those hands. I can trust him with what he's entrusted to me. Um, so all that to say is, man, I think, I think we all deal with that a little bit to some extent, right? There's just this thing. Money is one of the biggest uh, competitors for our love for the Lord. Uh, and that's out of scripture as well. Um, and man, how regularly we need to be opening those hands up. But I think we all deal with that. And I think that's the point. And I think that's exactly what Paul is getting at here and why he gives such practical advice in verse two. On the first day of 
every single week, every single one of you has to put something aside and store it up. Uh, a few practical things uh, just to wrap up and tie a little bit of a bow on this section and just talking about giving and generosity. Uh, ABF uh, takes the responsibility to provide for the church globally uh, very seriously. And so 10% of our entire budget goes to outreach, both locally here in the general area and also abroad globally. We support a number of missionaries uh, regularly and like to give and be generous in that. The other part is Financial Peace University is a Bible, uh, financial Bible study that our church has run in the past. Uh, it's been a little bit and we'd love to get that back up and running. Um, there's two things with that. If you've ever led a class of FPU and are interested, we're looking for somebody to lead a class of FPU. Uh, and then, man, if you're interested in like, Josh, I don't have a plan. I would love to come up with a plan. Uh, we'd love to get something like that up and running for you. All right. So, uh, continuing on, because we've got a few more things to get to before uh, we wrap this letter up. But this next connection, I understand, right? Here in this section, Paul's talking about this collection for the Jerusalem believers. And so now he's going to talk about his travel plan so he can let them know when they can expect Paul to come and pick up and be a part of the delivery for that gift. Continuing in verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I tend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries." All right, a little background here because you are in need of some background. So Paul, at the moment, is out on his third missionary journey. He has spent a handful of years in Ephesus. That's actually where he's writing this letter of 1 Corinthians from. Ministry in Ephesus has been quite rough. In another letter, Paul describes his ministry there like this. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. We despaired of life itself. We felt we had received the sentence of death. About as bad as it gets, right? Like that's pretty, that's pretty miserable. But yet, Paul changes his plans to stay in that situation longer. Paul's original plan seems to have been to make two stops at Corinth, one on the way to Macedonia, one on the way back from Macedonia. But here he's letting the Corinthian church know, new plan, just one stop when I come back from Macedonia. And the reason why is because he's staying in Ephesus longer. The Lord is opening up doors despite the fact, or maybe even evidenced by the fact that there is strong opposition. So here in this section, we see a very popular Christian ease term uh, that most are familiar with. If you've been around the church for any length of time, you've most likely heard a prayer for God to open doors or to close them. Uh, basically, just that the Lord would make his, wheel, his will clear for direction, for leading in our lives. And I would say, man, the big takeaway here in this section 
is really just asking the question, what is Paul's criteria for what an open door looks like and for what it doesn't look like? And I would say the biggest thing is that it had absolutely nothing to do with being easy. I think it is quite important for us to be reminded regularly that the path of least resistance does not automatically equal an open door. The path of least resistance does not automatically equal, oh, that must be God's open door for my life. Just looking here at Paul and his situation, it for sure would have been much easier for Paul to leave Ephesus and just go straight to Corinth on his way to Macedonia. Absolutely, get out of it. If it's tough, get out of it. Uh, But ease, easiness, was not the criteria for Paul to see an open door from the Lord. What was the criteria? The criteria was an opportunity to be effective for serving the Lord. That was the criteria for seeing an open door. And hear me out here. I'm not saying that open doors are never easy, right? Sometimes the Lord's open door absolutely is just very, very easy. What I'm saying is that's not the priority in determining our decision-making, That is not the priority. Ease is not like the number one factor as we're making decisions. Uh, Being an effective follower of Jesus, an obedient follower of Jesus is. That's the most important. Uh, And therefore, I think there are absolutely times when we need to say no to the easy option that may appear like an open door um, because it's clearly not God's best for us in our lives at the moment. Uh, I don't want to make it overcomplicated or confusing because I don't think it is that way. I don't think we're trying to like decode the will of God in these circumstances. Like here for Paul, it's not like he's agonizing over this decision. He's not. He is seeing that there is a very uh, real open door for effective ministry. And so he's willing to stay despite the fact that the easy thing might be to leave. Paul just obeyed. Paul just obeyed. The path of least resistance does not automatically equal an open door. And I think it's just important for us not to lie to ourselves or convince ourselves that because it's easy, that's got to be the open door. All right. So Paul shares his travel plans. He is not coming to Corinth now, but someone is. Again, we're still following line of thought. Here we go. Verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. All right, a slight, just a very little background thing of what's going on here. So Paul sent Timothy ahead of him to Corinth, most likely with this letter, because Paul was staying back in Ephesus, right? We're putting all the pieces together of what's going on. So my question for you is while we were reading that section, right? As you read that section, were there any phrases that stood out to you as being familiar? Okay. Maybe uh, uh, something that you've heard elsewhere in scripture in regards to Timothy. 
Anything? So, one that stood out to me is from verse 11, okay? It says this, so let no one despise him. And uh, that gave me a very strong connection uh, to something that's very similar in the book of 1 Timothy. Now, 1 Timothy is a letter that Paul wrote directly to Timothy. And 1 Timothy 4.12 says this, let no one despise you for your youth. Let no one despise you for your youth. Uh, definitely one of the more popular verses, especially in student ministries. Actually, even right now, our college and young adult ministry is going through the book of 1 Timothy, partially because of this idea of Timothy uh, not being looked down on for his youth, but setting an example to the believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. But here's the thing. When you look into it, uh, at this time, when Paul wrote uh, this book, this letter of 1 Timothy, uh, it was around the year 65 AD, and Timothy was already a pastor at the church in Ephesus. He was thought to be in his late 20s or early 30s, okay? The letter of 1 Corinthians was written about 10 years earlier. So at this time, Timothy is in his late teens, early 20s. And man, if they were worried about Timothy being looked down on, despised, uh, just not confident in his role when he was 30, how would he have done when he was 20? Like, it would have absolutely uh, been very true for him to have been looked down on in, around the age of 20 if they were worried about that when he was 30. It's probably why Paul uh, wanted Apollos to go with Timothy. We see that there in verse 12, probably to just provide some extra maturity, maybe just a little bit more of an authoritative voice. Um, but as we see, Apollos did not want to go at all. And Paul like puts that in there, which is pretty funny. Uh, why didn't Apollos want to go? We don't really know. Chances are, it's probably something similar to why Paul didn't want to go right then. Just effective ministry going on in Ephesus, even though it was kind of difficult there. So Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he's appealing, them, appealing to them to be gracious, to make life easy for Timothy and to help him out if necessary. Personally, I have had a seat at the adult table of ministry for the last year and a half or so. Uh, I just turned 38 this past week, so I'm in my late 30s. And so the idea of 20 years ago in my late teens or even early 20s being in a role like this, uh, I would have wet myself. <laughs> like it would not have been a, a good setup. So like I totally get it. And I just appreciate and love Paul's heart for Timothy and for the Corinthian church, how he's pastoring the church. Uh, because as I think about what he's saying here, what he is teaching the church, and what I think is applicable for us here at ABF, man, here at ABF, I can't help but think of Zach and Brian. So Zach just took over uh, this like in the last few months as our middle school director and Brian just took over as our high school director. Uh, both of these guys in their young 20s, kind of starting off at the beginning of uh, their quote unquote career, but really just starting off life as young men serving the Lord. And I just 
cannot get away from this idea that we as a church family have a very real responsibility to these young men who are like figuring out how to lead and serve the Lord in this capacity. Like we just have this responsibility to care for these young men. How do we put them at ease? How do we help them? How do we have their back? Um, are they going to do everything perfectly? Absolutely not, as they're learning along the way. Uh, I don't do everything perfectly along the way still, and I've been doing ministry for 20 years now. Um, but do they love the Lord? Do they love the students that they're responsible for? Oh my gosh, they absolutely do. Uh, we are so fortunate to have them. Uh, God has called them here and now. He is growing them and he is using them in amazing ways. And it is our responsibility and our great honor as a church to come alongside them to be their biggest cheerleaders and their biggest advocates. And uh, man, that is the responsibility of us as their church family. All right, ready for a hard right turn? Here we go. How did he get here? I don't know. Verse 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Uh, more famous verses, no idea how he got here. No idea why his mind goes there. Uh, the entire last chapter, all of chapter 16 that we're going through is filled with these practical details, uh, except for these two verses, which are kind of just like stuck right there in the middle. And it's kind of like his last commands uh, for the church in this letter. A number of years back, uh, the ABF men went to a men's conference uh, down south, I believe it was in Orange County. Um, if you've ever seen the infamous Josh and Chris do karaoke in Spanish video, uh, I'm sorry, uh, but that's where it came out of. Uh, it was a good time had by all. Um, but the conference was called Act Like Men, and the entirety of this two-day conference was spent just unpacking these two verses. An entire conference devoted to these two verses. So needless to say, I could, I could easily do a full message here, uh, but we are gonna take the opposite approach and actually move pretty quickly because in the context of us just having studied this entire book of 1 Corinthians, these verses really just touch on content that's been discussed previously, and it's kind of like his last charge based on what he's talked about throughout the letter. Uh, he says here, be watchful, be watchful. Throughout the letter, Paul's explained how crazy stuff has crept into the church. Some crazy stuff has crept into the church. Be watchful, watch out. Watch out that it doesn't creep into the church. Look ahead. Be watchful. Look ahead to Jesus' return. He just finished talking about that in, in chapter 15. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Be mature. Be like a man, not like a little boy. Be like a woman, not like a little girl. Stand firm. Don't let your world be rocked, your theological world, your world of following after Jesus. Don't let your world be rocked by every little argument, every little thought. Um, man, don't, don't, 
wave back and forth. Stand firm in what you believe. Man, there is a good reason to believe what we believe and follow after. Stand firm in it. Don't bend to every pressure that comes along from our culture. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. Every single thing, let it be done in love. Then he turns another corner. We're going to finish up with this last section in verse 15. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings, Achilla and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come! Exclamation point. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. All right, it's confession time here on this fine day. Who of you, when you get to the end of a letter, kind of like to this very ending section in your personal study and you're reading about this guy and that girl and bring my coat and, you know, send him my scrolls, who flies by at like a thousand miles an hour and is just like, yep, done, finish, wrap it up? Yeah, yeah. Uh, right? Like all the practical stuff is done. Like who cares about these random people that Paul mentions from 2,000 years ago? And uh, I mean, truth be told, I don't even necessarily completely disagree. But when you're preaching on a topic, you actually dive into a little bit more. And it's just cool to see, man, there really is like good stuff in all of the little details. Um, There's good stuff to be found Uh, when we dive into it. And so just want to share a couple of things about Aquila Aquila and Prisca and also Stephanus. Uh, Aquila and Prisca, also known as Priscilla, they were tent makers, just like Paul. They traveled around, uh, moved as a part of their business. They lived in Palestine, Rome, Corinth. Now they are in Ephesus, which is in Asia, by the way, which is why Paul mentions that. So they're in Ephesus with Paul. They're known for not only being a part of the discipleship process for Apollos, who we talked about earlier, but man, they're just always that couple that no matter where they lived, their house was the gathering spot for church. Their house was the spot. I just think, man, that is such a cool way to be remembered of just like, man, Aquila and Priscilla, like their place, that's where we did church always. There's always a church gathering there. All right, Stephanus. So, good Greek boy. Stephanus was a Gentile Christian from Corinth. Uh, So we learned here in this section that he and his family were Paul's first converts in Achaia, uh, which is the southern province in Greece. It includes Corinth and Athens in that province down there. He was one of the very few humans in all of history that Paul baptized himself, true story. Needless to say, pretty close connection with Paul. So when the Corinthians had some questions for Paul about some things that were going on, we find out that they wrote him a letter 
Uh, Paul talks about that in chapter seven. Who do you think delivered that letter? Well, chances are it was Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, these guys that he mentions here. Uh, and he shares how these guys refreshed him in Ephesus, right? We've talked about how hard ministry has been. And so these guys come and refresh Paul in this tough season. And he also takes some time, Paul does, to recognize how devoted Stephanus and his family are to the cause of Christ. Use the word devoted. Devoted is a pretty intense word. Uh, and if you are one of those people that loves the old school King James version, I know there's a couple people that are like, that doesn't make sense to me, but some of you are out there, you exist. If you were to look at the old school King James version and see what word is used there instead of devoted, you would see the word addicted. Addicted. Stephanus and his family were addicted to serving the Lord. They just could not get enough. They couldn't help it. It was just this compulsion. Like they had some and they just needed more. Just addicted to serving the Lord. Could anyone mistake you for being addicted to serving the Lord? Could anyone mistake you for being addicted to serving the Lord? Maybe someone comes to mind. Maybe it's like, I don't know. If I'm honest about myself, I'm not sure if I could be described that way. Uh, does anybody come to mind? Uh, as I was thinking through, it was actually pretty easy. There were a handful of, uh, a number of people here from this church that came to mind, which I thought was pretty cool because it happened pretty quickly. Uh, one that stands out uh, is Aaron Lacombe. One in particular that stands out is Aaron Lacombe. Man, the dude is just addicted to learning more about God's word and engaging people uh, with conversation about who God is. Aaron, if you remember, we saw his testimony here around Thanksgiving time. He just got baptized here just a few weeks ago. Uh, he started a Christian clothing brand and really his heart behind it is just wanting to engage people. It's cool hearing stories of him at trade shows, hearing his ideas of how he's gonna engage our culture, how he's gonna engage people individually. The dude is just addicted to serving the Lord. Just such a cool picture. What are Paul's directions here concerning people like that? Said we are to recognize them and submit to them. Now, it's not that Aaron all of a sudden starts like making decisions for me. Uh, honestly, I think what it comes down to is I just want to be like Aaron when I grow up. Like, I just want to be like that dude. Um, as you think through, man, who do you know that is quote unquote addicted to serving the Lord? Who, who, do, who comes to mind? Man, rub shoulders with that, piece, that person. Be like Aaron. Like that's what it comes down to. All right. Before wrapping up, I want to give a little bit of clarity because there's even at the bottom here uh, a number of things worth touching on. Verse 21 may seem pretty random. It says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And you're like, well, Paul, haven't you been like, writing this whole letter? Like we've been reading for a long time here. Well, up until this point, Paul has been dictating to a scribe. The scribe's been writing down. And so this is just kind of his last signature of authenticity. Uh, I'd imagine Paul just has horrible handwriting. That's probably why I didn't write the whole letter. I don't know. Uh, who knows? So last story uh, that I want to close with is a story about Mr. Dave Huners. 
For those who don't know Dave, uh, Dave has been here at ABF for about 45 years. Raised his kids here, and now his kids are raising their kids here. Really, really cool. Has spent a number of years on our elder board. Dave is uh, such a good dude. Uh, incredibly wise, and man, he just has a servant's heart like no other. Uh, I think he might be the guy that serves in more different areas of the church than anyone, than anyone else. It, it really is incredible. Um, he's kind of just more of like a behind the scenes, just a quieter guy, a little bit more reserved. Um, but man, just serves all over the place. And uh, his personality comes into play when we think of this, this story. Uh, a few years back, he tells the story of him being on a missions trip in Kazakhstan. And there in Kazakhstan, uh, verse 20 is definitely a little bit more uh, culturally normative and is taken quite literally. And so it was pretty amazing to hear Dave tell uh, his story of being at this church in Kazakhstan and being in a time of meet and greet, kind of like the time of the service where you greet around and meet everybody. Uh, Dave was kissed, yes, kissed, by not one, not two, not three, four, five, or six men, but kissed by seven different Kazakh men during this greet time on the lips. True story. Uh, man, what an amazing mental image to think of. <laughs> I can just picture it now. Uh, the look on Dave's face as he's just smooched by these Kazakhstan men. Uh, so, so good. Uh, really makes our meet and greet time seem pretty tame, right? Uh, but I just wanted to leave you with that mental image of Dave Huner's with the holy kiss. And I joke a little bit, but honestly, the holy kiss is actually a really good picture uh, of how we're wrapping up this time in 1 Corinthians. It really is. Man, thinking about the idea of being holy, that's so much of what Paul has been talking about in this letter, of being set apart. Being set apart, not sucked into the sinful trappings of our culture, being holy. And a kiss, what, is, what a better symbol for love. Uh, a holy kiss. Man, a kiss is absolutely motivated by a love that is so, so pure. And it's unifying. It's this unifying thing. And I think that is just such a perfect picture of what Paul has been trying to get the church in Corinth to be about. Because when it all boils down to it, we really are better together. Let me pray for us. Uh, dear Lord, uh, God, thank you uh, for even just this section of scripture and kind of hopping all over the place and feeling even like there's just a lot to cover. Um, but God, at the same time, so many just important, just good, hard-hitting truths, Lord. Um, Father, ultimately, I pray that we would um, just surrender over to you, man, and trust you when it comes to our finances, trust you when it comes to our futures, uh, trust you when it comes to um, just following you and serving you and being addicted to just wanting more and more of you. Um, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to fill us up and uh, just guide and direct us in so many of these different areas of life that we just want to lay down at your feet. 
Uh, ultimately, Lord, uh, we're thankful for this entire, the entirety of this letter and just an opportunity to just be sharpened by it and ask that you'd speak to our hearts exactly what you need to. Um, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We trust you. And we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.